there is a word to describe something that's bigger on the inside than it is the outside, but I guess in 2003, no one in the United States knew what it was. Because this is Feature Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I may one day come to find that I have Vulcan genomes floating around my family tree history. I'm your co-host, Peter. You teased to me, Peter, before we got started that you had some special data that you wanted to, to provide regarding one of the names we've discussed recently. Go ahead. Take it away. Well, we're moving into season. I'm going to go ahead and say season two. I think okay. it's earned after that last episode we did. Season two, episode 16, Future Tense, written by Mike Sussman, Phyllis Strong, and directed by James Whitmore Jr. First aired 19th of February, 2003. Sussman and Phyllis Strong keep popping up. So I went to the old uh, Memory Alpha to try and read up on them a little bit. I was surprised not to see any sort of a marriage or relationship between them, at least that Memory Alpha disclosed. Phyllis Strong had a couple interesting things, but Mike Sussman, I I think this is a name that maybe we should dig a little deeper into. This dude's a homegrown Trekkie. I I guess really it's it's a Cinderella story, right? It's, It's the one you can feel good about. The kid grew up watching original series, was real keen on it got into the Star Trek machine with his first episode meld. And uh, after a couple more freelancer gigs landed himself in there, but his memory alpha references a mirror darkly a few times. And I don't know. I think this guy's strong tie to being a fan of original series really starts to show through with uh, these enterprise episodes and some of the, the cornerstone world building concepts that he's flexing. And then you jump back into his Vulcan episodes. Guys like him, Kenneth Biller. I like when a writer specifically can go back in their own catalog and heavily reference things from such an intimate standpoint and and build on them and grow. So uh, we already know Sussman and, and Phyllis from Voyager, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of them in Enterprise. And Mm -hmm. by the time they come on as co-producers, I think that's where you start talking about Enterprise really finding its footing and becoming a compelling piece of uh, television in the three and season four era. Yeah, I mean, the In a Mirror Darkly episodes are are some of the most... uh, uh, well-regarded bangers of the Enterprise era. Um, they definitely come in season four. You, you mentioned you kind of already knew these episodes exist, that they're the mirror universe episodes of the of the Enterprise canon. Um, the 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 show that does the most with the mirror universe concept is far and away uh, DS Nine laps all comers <laughs> in that they did many 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 many. Uh, they did have one a season, I think, uh, Mirror Universe episodes. So they really went hard in it and told a a, a long-term storyline of their interactions with the Mirror Universe and really, like, fleshed out its lore and everything like that uh, that uh, Discovery then, like, took and then shit all over. But In the Mirror Darkly might be the best Mirror ep- uh, Universe episodes, period. As far as mm. like a story that takes place there. And you really do have to be a fan of Star Trek to like get how that works. 
and do that effectively. Because you're not just writing a Star Trek episode. You're writing a very meta Star Trek episode. You know, you're writing for Star Trek's evil opposite. And so you really have to understand what you're doing so that you can effectively turn that corner. You know, it's so interesting that Next Generation never really had anything to do with the Mirror Universe outside of, you know, novels and that memory beta type stuff but mirror yeah, with, universe with troy is like the the mind reading you know yeah the, inquisitor. the doogie hauser fucking super nazi uh from starship troopers and their sleeveless lancaster uniforms <laughs> it's, it's... flex those guns um but yeah like mirror universe stuff i almost put in the same camp as like q episodes it's star trek but it's that other that other corner of Star Trek that's not Star Trek. You know, it's weird. Yeah, and and why the DS9 episodes I think went over and over back to it is that they found an interesting line with nature versus nurture with it like let's spend some time with these people and see like how like or dislike their counterparts from the prime universe are they you know to what extent can their behavior be molded or changed you know is it that they're intrinsically evil or is it just that you know the circumstances have guided them down these paths and it's very ds9 that's that's really the vibe that they like to exist in i i i think though that ultimately the concept is better executed as camp and the Mm. enterprise episodes are pure unadulterated camp um and end up being extraordinarily enjoyable as a consequence hmm was it ronald moore writing those ds9 episodes you know with when we get to ds9 we'll we'll unpack that i don't know if ron moore wrote any of them he you know, he was a producer on ds9 and certainly wrote a lot but i think he might have only wrote like 35 episodes so he's not like doing them all there was um Ira Bear is the is the key scribe of that show. So on the Ronald Moore thing, like I, I've really been enjoying the uh, for all mankind. My wife refuses to let us just binge watch. Like so I get at the most one a night and it's usually one every three nights because it's super busy time of the year. But seeing what Ronald Moore can put out again. And I, 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 someone at Apple, they got the blinders on him, right? He's got a right. racetrack. He's got to stay in. They, they uh, learned the lesson of Battlestar Galactica. You have to give this man rules. <laughs> you can't let him fuck First around. First rule you of the Ronald out. Moore Bible is uh, no angels. In fact, Here. take the entire b- religious book of choice and just lock it in a safe and don't let Ronald have the keys. All right, Joe, you ready to talk future tense? Let's get on with it. This was an interesting one. This is uh, we're getting back into the temporal Cold War, which when's the last time we talked about that shockwave? I believe was it really shockwave? I don't think it's come up since. Um, and of all the temporal Cold War entries so far, I think I like this one the most. And it also, as I mentioned last week, as we were departing. It is a a very Trek take on the concept of time travel that feels very Trek, yet feels different than what we've seen before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Almost Doctor Who-like, 
in a oh, few absolutely. different ways. Yes. And, uh, but not right. Like, the, I mean, the TARDIS thing is the most obvious Doctor Who influence on this episode, but the sort of, uh, timey wimey nature of uh, to to use an actual phrase on the show of of temporal physics is manifested in the episode without becoming just a refuge for techno babble um you know weird stuff's happening they notice they try and use that and understand that to understand their situation um you know it's the, they there is something going on that goes beyond their grasp of their technology to contain understand so to use their intuition rather than like some sensor like i liked all of that and they don't have clear answers about anything that happened in the end they have merely what they can speculate that they believe to be true based on what they observed jumping to the end of the episode and, and this Mike Sussman guy directly, there's an interview where he alludes. He didn't get his way with the script. He wanted basically that end of the episode explanation. And they don't really say why he didn't get that, but I will agree with whoever's choice it was to exclude that yeah. to leave the question marks at the end and leave you guessing. And I don't like, as we've discussed, that so much of Enterprise is less about Enterprise and the actions of its crew and more about outside actors forcing Enterprise through hoops. I think that's that was a bad storytelling vehicle to introduce for something that should have been so rich in story and opportunity and, and whatever, which... As we tem- know, unfortunately, yeah, like the temporal cold lore was just not a right, the right choice for what they wanted to do here. Like there is something that is marionetting you, you know, through your early journeys into space and you know, you're part of something like bigger. It's like, no, don't. Why'd you do this? We, the audience know this is the beginning of a, a journey. That's enough, right? right? Like we, we are aware that there, this builds into what we've seen before. You didn't make have to make the story, make the characters in the story aware of that as well. The neat part was that they weren't. But for this single installment, leaving everybody in the dark, I think was the right storytelling call. Yeah, it allowed, uh, the, it allowed them all just to finish the thought before we jump into the details. It allows the characters to actually demonstrate their ability to understand what's going on around them without like Crewman Daniel suddenly showing up and handholding them through it. Like... They had to figure it out, and they did. Neat. We open up in the dark. Enterprise zipping along, and they come across a... I don't know. It looks like a screwdriver bit floating through space. Yeah. Yep. It looks honestly like an escape pod. If you had to really Absolutely. pin it on there. Absolutely. It looks like an escape pod. They pull it in. They were just curious because they're like, yeah, there's it. It's weird. We can't scan it. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's doing too hot. And then Archer's like, put it in shuttle bay two. two. I'm sorry, launch bay two. I, which shuttle pod was destroyed? Neither. Oh, shuttle yeah. pods have never been destroyed. They just bullshit. Covered on screen. Crashed. The, the one that fucking just crash landed back uh, on the Andorian Vulcan Civil War. That thing got shot down and was in pieces all over the place. No, they You're said t- explicitly it stayed intact. 
That's why they were able to to emerge from it, you know, and open the door and everything. That is some bullshit. That thing was fucked. Dude, they they overcorrected so hard for the whole shuttlecraft Voyager thing because it got pointed out so often by fans and was even in Star Trek magazine that they have gone out of their way to never destroy Enterprise's uh, shuttle, shuttles because they're maintaining the continuity that Enterprise would have no way of replacing them. Are these things made out of Legos and they can just press them back together? <laughs> you know, it's they went from one extreme to the other. I'm not saying either is good. I'm merely oh, explaining what happened. Oh, the been ruptured. <laughs> How, what engineering feat can we use to keep the <laughs> spackle mashed potatoes? We got, we've got the technology. We do. Literally, they put mashed potatoes and it fucking sealed the hull back in. Sh- oh, yeah, shuttle pod, right? Shuttle pod yeah, one. Shuttle pod one, yeah. So there's what? Four launch bays on Enterprise then? I think there's two. There's got to be four. Unless the shuttle pods are stored somewhere else other than the, the shuttle bay because. Or the, the launch bait. The props do not appear in this episode. I don't think there's only two shuttle pods. I think there's four. We'll have to. We'll Should have to... we? I mean, I know you don't want to employ Jack for these purposes, but, you know, if we're going to call no. anybody in. Um, this is open to anyone. Feel free to jump on Discord or the trauma support group on Facebook and pipe off because I'm too lazy to Google right now. Uh, yeah, let's assume there's four. How they get this thing into the shuttle pod or the launch bay is interesting because they don't have tractor beams so are they just hitting this thing with like the fucking grappling hooks and then <laughs> yeeting it somehow <laughs> just using physics just like <laughs> okay, you give it a little it. juice and there you go <laughs> they they hit it with the grappling hooks and then they begin barrel rolling and create I don't centrifugal force exists in space obviously right that's how like mm-hmm. 2001 space so they, they get this thing going and they slowly retract the cable until they can finally just wing this thing in there it's it's landed perfectly in the shuttle pod or shuttle bay whatever on these weird pylons landing gear aside it looks pretty cool they did a nice job uh battle damaging it and making it look truly out of place for this timeline they crack it open after reed grabs a gun to uh shoot off a panel open it up (laughs) and archer (laughs) jumps right in that whole sequence, like, I I got half a page of notes off this beginning on its own, right? I'm willing to cut Enterprise crew a lot of slack season one, like uh, Space Reefer Madness. Mm-hmm. Sure, you're just too excited. You jump the gun. You go down on the surface with your dog. And before you know it, everybody's hallucinating and your first officer's shooting your chief engineer. Your first day on the job. I get it. But at this point, hey... Bring this fucking weird thing in here that we don't know anything about. We're going to ro- walk on it. No EV suits or anything. Force fields don't exist yet. They're acting with this thing like it's next gen and it's just covered in force fields. They're right up on it with God knows what radiation, which I'm very happy that becomes like a major plot point later on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This looks mattered. I don't know. This looks like a panel. Captain, may I? Which I would assume to mean I'm going to go get like a drill or some dedicated piece of industrial yeah, some tooling. Some careful engineering device that allows me to uh, slowly pry open this this panel. No, no, no. no. Just the a death gun. Ray. <laughs> Just a gun. Just like. Just the death ray. Shooting this thing. While we're all be anything alive in there. <laughs> I hope it doesn't have a reflective hull that's going to bounce this beam off and like incinerate to Paul or whatever. 
What a great way to end the show if it got canceled. <laughs> you know? Just like, all right, I'm going to do this. And just to Paul, like just incinerating immediately. Like a disco ball, just thousands of phasers shattering off. Also, I want to say this is uh, post, what was that Frangie Buffoon episode? Acquisition, mm-hmm. right? Right. This was literally the plot of Acquisition. We're going to put a doodad floating out on space that the humans just can't resist bringing in their ship. We're going to fill it with poison gas. It's going to knock everybody out. And then we are going to sell their women on the sex slave markets. No respirators, no nothing. Yeah, yeah, this is true. That was the plot of that episode. So they crack this bitch open. Uh, Again, Archer just jumps in. I think that's the weird part where Archer's like, all right, here we go. I'm in a weird alien spaceship. That's what we're doing. P.U., it stinks to high hell in here. I'm going in. Not an ensign, not an engineer, not a security guy. The fucking captain. Archer jumps in. Alligator immediately eats him. (laughs) It's like playing Frogger. He just gets hit by a bus while he's in there. Like, okay, that's a bad idea. There's these uh, nuclear missiles. Do we ever talk about the nuclear missile silos, the old Titan launch facilities? No. No. What does this have to do with this? Uh, poison gas pockets. So there's all these old 60s, 70s eras, uh, inner ICBM launch sites all over the Midwest, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know about that. A lot of these, they've been decommissioned and farmers have bought the land because they were sitting on expansive plots of land. And, and there. So, so you can buy the land that these things were on. And a lot of them have been dug up and turned into all sorts of interesting things because the core structure, if it's still intact, is like rated to withstand nuclear holocaust, right? So like data centers will go in there and a lot oh, of them yeah. are like hotels. Speaking of Airbnbs, you know, we were talking earlier, uh, like neat boutique motel or hotels. And then uh, I found one and this dude, it's called Death Wears Bunny Slippers on YouTube where my first daughter was born. I watched these things like, 16 of them in a row at like 4 a.m. in the morning because she wouldn't go to sleep. But it was it's this guy video chronicling him uh, renovating these things. Anyways, they'll fill up with water and other stuff because they've been neglected. And uh, these poison gas uh, pockets will form in there and people can, you know, walk in and think everything's cool. And then just their voice starts changing because helium or some other weird thing. And they're like, oh, my God, get out of here right now. Really cool. You should check him out. So, yeah, this whole thing's fucking ridiculous. You would think that uh, out of a ship of 80 some people, there'd be another literal canary to go in there. But I don't know. Mayweather's busy flying the ship or whatever. Archer jumps in. He does, in fact, something smells something weird. He pulls the office chair that's in front of him around. And sure enough, there is a uh, pretty nasty corpse. But the big stunner is when Paul scans the body and says, that's a human. That's a guy. That's like one of your guys. Dun, dun, dun. And we're off. So Next. the B plot, and I, I would say that if there is to be a B plot, it is, is this Zephyrin Cochran? <laughs> Zephyrin Cochran actually comes from an ATOS episode. You may not be aware of this. I wasn't until I saw it in the memory alpha. Oh, okay. So I'm glad they mentioned it. I imagine they probably couldn't help but mention it because uh, Zephyr Cochran's such a big deal now. But 
uh, his the concept of him was introduced in a episode of TOS where he was found and he was you know taken by some uh, other alien force and all this other stuff and you know de-aged and then that sort of thing. It's goofy 1960s plot. But the 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 concept that Zephyr Cochran fucked off from Earth in a ship and didn't tell anybody what he was doing, where he was going, is canon that obviously in the Enterprise era they have to reflect. Right. Like that happened. And we know later on he gets found by Kirk, but that doesn't happen for another 80 years. So maybe this is Zephyrin Cochran. Maybe we finally found him like perfect. Great use very, of, of continuity. I, I liked it a lot, too. And it's very interesting because we do get to see Zephyrin Cochran in Broken Bow. Yes. Uh, in that pre-recorded send off video of like, you know. Welcome to the Warp 5 facility. Here's my Walt Disney speech. Yeah, he was Mr. DNA. <laughs> so, <Spare> no <laughs> yeah. so uh, Archer does something he literally almost never does, and that's call his boss, Admiral Forrest, and file a, and I'm air quoting here, a report. Uh, I'm going to assume that reporting to your superior is like part of that undiscovered country the same way they had to figure out how to create a red alert. Like the idea of checking in with home base just somehow doesn't exist after the uh, nuclear holocaust of world war three and, and, and uh, admiral forrest still hasn't also figured out the finer points of being a starfleet admiral because all of his orders tend to be sane relevant and uh absolutely something archer should follow <laughs> like it's not starfleet admiral syndrome from you know later eras where they they really figure out that the idea is that they need to be fucking insane and do dumb shit all the time so that our hero crew can overcome their stupid bosses no no actually for uh, admiral forrest is right you 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 should call more often (laughs) yeah well john you got two options here uh option one is you can go into an asteroid field and uh try to find our lost supply of uh chemical weapons and other uh, warm crime party favors or option two is come back to home base and we're going to eat bugs and you're going to be infested with brain parasites. <laughs> None of that. No. Uh, so he's the one who goes, yeah, wow. You know, this might be Zephram Cochran. We got to figure out, or it might be a ship from whatever colony is closest. And he mentions something I thought was real interesting. And that's the earth cargo authority, which I'm guessing is the agency that presides over uh, all the space truckers. That is Correct. Do we touch on that anymore or is that all just boring background we, filler post think, fortunate son? I don't think we ever touch on like earth cargo authority as a organization that ever has any role in a particular episode. Uh, but we are not done with boomers. We are not mm. done with space truckers. In fact, we're not done with space truckers this season. Good. I like space truckers. What yeah. if all the crazy admirals, are currently in the Earth Cargo Authority. Oh, and then that's at the some problem. point, at some point, once the Federation's established, they're like, "Listen, just merge these two organizations, Starfleet and the Earth Cargo Authority," and that's where Crazy Admiral Syndrome comes from because it's a bunch of it's a bunch of dudes out. that spend like all time, all this time in space with like fifteen other dudes. They're super inbred. Crank, yeah. <laughs> That's it. It comes from the inbreeding from from uh, the Earth Cargo Authority years. That's where all, all this... the moonshine. Oh, absolutely. That's it. We've cracked the code. But they also point out, like, 
either this guy is Zephyrin Cochran or you have a bigger mystery on your hands because this should be impossible. You know, Phlox like says, yeah, this this guy is human. I will do a DNA test to tell you more, but he's definitely a human. And they're like, there's no way that there's anyone close enough that they could have gotten a ship out this far. So unless Zephyrin Cochran cooked up some real special sauce in this thing, um, this 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 might have more questions rather than answers. And they are uh, so after that is when Trip and Reed are investigating the shuttle further when they find both the organic circuits like this, which is which are nasty, and then a convenient hatch. That uh, they, we get to get to our tiredest part of the episode when they pry the first plate off and it's just blue goose slung around some yeah. green looking thing. My first thought is like, so is this what the chemical toilet on an escape pod is like you guys need to just the complete lack of common sense and decorum and, and just couth like that. <laughs> that's where the poops go, dude. And you guys are playing around in there. I I'm. There needs to be an episode that establishes Reed and it can't because he he's groomed in a silent enemy or whatever. Like I come from this long tradition of soldier officers. He had he been like a Wesley Crusher science whiz kid that for whatever reason decided to go tactical. I'd buy it, but him and trip being the primary science engineer geniuses is such a bad fit like this, the the the, the Jordy data pairing right right gimme trip and to paul you're already trying to groom him as like boyfriend girlfriend i do not buy reed as a intellectual authority on enterprise despite the fact specifically yeah he's wharf right he's supposed to be wharf you wouldn't send wharf on your science missions you send wharf on missions where someone's going to beat some ass and for better or for worse you know maybe reed doesn't have the physicality you need to even pull that down but that's what he's supposed to be doing and to paul is the science officer like explicitly stated so if you're doing a mission of discovery, she should probably be there with your chief engineer. Those are the two that should be doing it. And he's she's not really necessary on the bridge for like the stuff that they end up doing. She's just floating between the two, you know, stations and and doing two jobs. But, you know, the I I agree with you. This needed to be tripping to Paul and this needed to be tripping to Paul. They rip off the bioneural circuit thing. It looks like uh, something from Aliens. The emergency <laughs> potty, yes. Yes. And then they figure out there's a hatch. They open it. And that's when they notice, you know, a ladder going down. Way down. So far down, they drop a WMD. By that, I mean a space pipe down to see how far it goes. And when they get the way into the distance and they're like uh this is weird this isn't supposed to be what is going on well let's go <laughs> the uh scp website secure contain protect have you have you fucked with that at all yet i've never fucked with it but i certainly am aware of it and have read some of it 
I love it. Uh, they would define this as non-Euclidean space. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Fucking awesome. When they saw that uh, that multi-story ladder, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. That th- Now we're doing some cool fringe sci-fi stuff there. Yeah. And Oh, <clears throat> speaking of SCP, you ever play Control? I own it like I own many Steam games, yet I have never touched it. It's SCP, the game. It, it, I don't know how else to describe it. It is absolutely what if Remedy decided to make a, um, you know, Max Payne third person shooter uh, with the concept being you are in the SCP headquarters and some real, real wild shit's happening and you got to sort it out. Well, it's supposed to play real well on the Steam Deck, so I'll get around to it once my kids give me some fantastic game extremely worth your time but uh this is where things go off the rails for read and trip because first of all they both should be like wow am i going crazy like this should be impossible we've been working in this weird craft without any sort of like air filtration equipment or biohazard suits like are we space madness again (laughs) <laughs> That's bullet point A. And then Trip's decision, I'm just going to go down this bitch. I'm going to get real Florida man on this, which 50%. Yeah, he's Florida man. Other 50% like. You've discovered what could very well be a portal to hell. <laughs> like you've no idea where this is going. You have dropped a pipe down. That's all the that's all the investigating you've done before you decide to tally ho. There's being Florida man and then there's being Florida man on meth. <laughs> you've you've eaten all <laughs> of the meth salts. And Reed, who's you know the buy the book guy, like both of them being, yeah, let's go check this out without telling anybody else. Let's, let's be two little Timmies and fall down the well with <laughs> yeah, no lassie around to go tell anyone Dan. else. Like I mean, at no point did they'd be like, mm, trip to the bridge. Trip to the bridge. Go ahead, Trip. Captain, we've discovered that there might be a portal to the nether realm inside the weird ship we found floating in space. It seems to go somewhere. It's like a sewage portal with, with concrete for some reason and, and, and a ladder. Should we go down? Please check wire end. <laughs> uh, Captain, it's been more than an episode since I've been stranded someplace, so I'm going to go and try and get stranded in the fucking well and see if I can't find the girl from the ring down there. Man, this could have been such a good fucking space horror episode if, like, this was just, I don't know, the Hellraiser lament cube out in space and they just unlocked it and unleashed (laughs) hell in this reality. Or, like, you know, they get down and the hatch closes and they're lost. A lot of good mileage. It's how you get read off the show, you turn him into a Cenobite. <laughs> so complete insanity that they decide to go down there. And, and neither of them. Reed just gets pulled along on these zany adventures. The last time it happened was at the death stop truck stop. That's true. Like, let's go. Let's solid snake through the vents. Let's do it. Yeah, the last time we did this, I got what could have very easily been beamed off into space. Realistically. Yeah. Why didn't they just. Oh, because they had to fake Mayweather's death. Should have been Reed getting his brain pumped out through his wrists. They go down there. They start looking around. Uh, it's not clearly hypertech. Yeah, uh, it's it's it seems alien, alien. You know, like 
not advanced, just like very simplistic to the point of sus- being suspect. Yes, it's it's very alien on a budget. And while this is happening, the Enterprise is visited by some old friends, specifically some Sulaban, some green-skinned acrobatic weirdos who are apparently in a cargo ship. They claim that they have salvage rights on the vessel. Archer's like, fuck off. There was a human in it, so we're saying it's ours. And they decide to beef and start a fight. For once, Enterprise actually manages to fend off an attacker effectively with phase cannons, something I don't think we've seen them do very often. Well, the phase cannons fucked up the spider people or whatever those Mars attacks guys were, remember? Yeah, after they supercharged them to be like... 200% of normal capacity. It was not street legal. Uh, So, Suliban refresher course. There's the Suliban refugees because their homeworld was destroyed, right? Correct. Suliban is a race. Yes. And then the temporal mercenary genetic engineer addicts. What were they called? The the Kalel? The Cabal. Cabal. Mm Mm-hmm. These guys, are they clearly Cabal? Well, yeah, they have because they have the green skin and have the weirdo abilities, right? Like, the I think it's the... that we met, the Sulaban that we met in the prison camp with Grot, um, were didn't have any like superpowers, right? Like, there was well, no, the superpowers, but like, there is a, a skin color difference between them then. Gosh, you know what? I don't remember off the top of my head. I felt like there was. I felt that there was a clear visual difference, but maybe I'm imagining that. They're wearing different skin tight. They're not wearing civilian clothes. I think that's a cabal uniform. It's surprising because like you said, like the cell ships, which are ridiculous in and of themselves, that they're shuttle pod size yet have warp capability and cloaking devices and all this other wild shit. You don't even get in 24th century Star Trek, but here they are in some piece of shit old transport. Uh, And, you know, there's old Jonathan Archer on the bridge ready to have a change of heart because he is the biggest fan to the Suluban when he is not actually dealing with the Suluban until he meets a Suluban, at which point he remembers he hates them and doesn't want to work with them at all. Uh, I would say they're their salvage claim seems pretty legit, right? But he immediately dismisses that, which is reasonable. And then he drops the line uh, saying, you know, go ahead and c- uh, contact your higher ups. What's lead Suluban guy's name? Silic. Silic. You'll find a guy named Silic. He'll tell you, I don't respond well to threats. Well, while since, they're having the scintillating since when? dialogue. <laughs> since when? <laughs> The inconsistencies in Archer, they just, they fucking kill me, man. I hate bullies until the episode needs me to, you know, work along nice. And uh, of course, I'm talking about what's the reptile episode, Ford, Ford Punch. Dawn. Yeah. Unless, you know, they fire and maybe kill my best friend and then I'm willing to like work along fine. Whatever. While this is going on, the more interesting part because of how ridiculous it is, is we've talked about how enterprise is a series of shitty gunfights. Yeah. There may be no gunfight shittier than the one that breaks out in this cargo hold, because what happens is two Sulaban infiltrate. 
One knocks out Trip. Reed shoots that one down. And so the other one scurries up the catwalk. And then the, the tension of the scene is that he goes into the control area for the cargo bay to try and decompress it. And then we'll periodically stop doing that, come out of the door, trade shots with Reed, and then go back to doing it again. And then Reed will like shoot from cover at the the window, I guess, but not be able to hit the window, even though it's a giant pain that would be almost impossible to miss. Do you remember like six minutes earlier in the episode when Reed grabbed the exact same gun and shot a laser at the hull of the super ship from the 31st century or whatever and cut a hole? And now you're telling me that same gun can't fucking shoot through glass? Well, no, no. What I'm saying is Reed couldn't hit glass. He he was unsuccessful in in striking glass. And then finally, when they give up because uh, Enterprise has successfully started to fight them off and they transport them off, he like runs up there. And the way he's got the face pistol gripped in his hand is the weirdest thing. It's like clearly the actor has never like held a real gun. He's British, so probably true. But he's got a grip on it so that his trigger finger is on it and his middle finger is on it. But then his like other two fingers are just like flared out. So he's like holding it like this. Throwing them gang signs. Yeah, he's like... They teach you to do that in the academy. Okay. It was... He's like doing the world's worst like clearing, you know, like... With the gun and uh, held very awkwardly, it's just this was this is your security expert. This is who I'm supposed to be threatened by. I'm not threatened by this man who can't hit glass and can't hold a gun. Get him out of here. Give me Hoshi. I'll take Hoshi. I know Hoshi can shoot. I've seen it. <laughs> uh, I also like that while the Suluban are confronting Voyage or uh, Enterprise, there's no mention again of the cell ship that we're led to believe enterprise still has possession of. Right. There's no, they've never addressed it since they decided to use it. Um, I do like the, uh, the danger you can feel when the Suluban are around because they can just transport dudes on your ship. You don't have a way to protect against it. And these guys just turn invisible and they're crawling on the walls. Cause like, as soon as they showed up, I'm like how the fuck do these guys get on here that, Oh, right. Enterprise doesn't have shields. Man, just beam right on. Just like show right up. Can't stop. That them. sounds like that's not going to be a good time. Uh, eventually they, they beat up the cargo container transport, which for whatever fucking for as important as this ship is, this old cargo container couldn't get a couple cell ships flying for escort. Silly Sulubon, I guess. They take off. And now Archer knows this is for real, for real. Uh, yeah, all the pieces are there. The Sulubon have shown up. They have a keen interest in this random thing they found. The random thing has a lot of mystery to it. The non-Euclidean space, this black box that Trip found that was miraculously well hidden. It just like, what is it? Just trying to understand it. And then the the cherry on top is that Flox calls in uh, him and Paul and they're like, he's like, uh, yeah, I found something real weird here. 
this guy doesn't have just human DNA. He's got multi-species DNA. Um, Vulcan in particular. I, I'm not quite sure how this could possibly be uh, happening, but here's the data. And that's when Archer is convinced this is clearly some fucking timey-wimey bullshit. Uh, this guy must be from the future. This technology must be from the future. The Sulaban are involved. We know they're involved in the temporal Cold War. It's time to hit the books. It's Paul. We're going to Kruma Daniel's quarters and we're grabbing the future dictionary. We're just doing it. <laughs> we are we're going gonna, to the Encyclopedia Britannica. We are, we are cheating. <laughs> yeah, future and Carta. Uh, they get in there. They start browsing through the archives. Uh, to Paul hanging on to the notion that time travel's not real is wearing real thin on me at this point. It's like wearing thin with her, too. So I, it was more acceptable in this episode because she clearly is starting to very much believe in it. She's just still like, oh, God, I can't believe this is really my life. You know, she doesn't doubt the premise anymore in the way that she used to in providing some alternatives. It was, no, this is this is all happening the way that I'm seeing it. I just don't want to admit it. It was a Real definite quick. shift. Back to the ship, too. While Reed and Trip are exploring, they go down this ladder, which leads directly to what they will be like, oh, this seems like it's their warp reactor. Clearly, there's been a major, major accident. This whole thing's blown up, and basically, this ship has been cooked from the inside out. And at no point are like, man, we're standing right inside Chernobyl next to the elephant's foot, aren't we? Yeah. We're yeah, both we'll... going to die by next week. Like, the, it was stupid of us to come in here without suits. And then, yeah, right next to the warp core is this black box. I, I don't know. That that part was silly. But, yeah, so they, they get into the old uh, Encarta 31st century edition. They start browsing through there. They have banter about how humans and Vulcans have never had children t- together before. And, in fact, the suggestion is Vulcans maybe have never banged a human before, as far as they're aware. Um, we, you know, it's another weird fun point sexual of tension. Like, oh, I, I mean, us as a species, not you and me. Oh, like, God, get yes. out of here. I mean, uh, just out of nowhere, too. And it feels so forced because they don't have that kind of chemistry with each other no. at all. Do you think that, uh, uh, you know, hybrids, uh, Vulcan humans would have pointy ears? Like, hur, hur, hur. I, to Paul, should have been like, listen, while you're in here looking at your fucking. Mortal Kombat's fatalities cheat sheet list. Daniel's computer. Like, real quick, can you look up my space aids and see if there's a cure in there, please? <laughs> I know I, we made some progress a few weeks ago, but I would like to not have space aids if there's a I cure. forgot that we have this uh, almanac from uh, Back to the Future 2. Can can you please get me some, some shit I can use here? Uh, also, I would have liked a line in there while... Archer's like, we're just going to keep it between us. We only look at this when we, we only look at the script and we really, really have to. I want her to be sitting next to him and look and say, does, does Admiral Forrest know you have this? <laughs> You've got this thing. Does he know? Does he know you have unlocked the secrets of the future going back, going forward a millennium? I see. Does he know this? Intrepid class starships there. Like. Did you did you tell your boss you keep it? I know he obviously doesn't know that you've got the fucking cell ship in one of our 15 hangar bays that we must have for all the, the space set up down there. They find the, the ship. 
They go, okay, here's the configuration. Oh my gosh, look at that. This isn't going to be created for what? Another how many? 900 years. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <gasps> it is from the future. Congratulations. So while they're, they're having this revelation, uh, Hoshi calls down and says, uh, we got more problems. There's another alien showing up and it's not just any alien. What we find out is the next vessel on the list of people who are interested in this thing is a Tholian vessel. We're talking about another shout out from the sixties. The Tholians uh, were the famous Tholian web species that are the crystalline entities that have to exist in super hot temperatures and are, uh, shall we say, not fans of outsiders. So T'Pol's butt cheeks go super tight and he, she looks up like, oh yeah, we've barely ever talked to these fools. They never leave their space. Them being here is very weird. Highly sus. Do not engage. I like the universal translator game that plays uh, like screeching, almost insect hissing, clacking comes over uh, before the translator kicks in. And it's like, give us the ship. You're in danger. Temporal radiation. And I was like, oh, good. We're not going to ignore the fact that this thing's probably dangerous as fucking slowly killing everybody. Uh, they hit Enterprise with a tractor beam, which... Uh, is now the second time we've seen a tractor beam mentioned because we know the Vulcans have them. Correct. So Tholians are represented as clearly technologically superior to what happens um, to Tholians. They don't join the Federation, do they? No, no, they remain antagonistic and very isolationist through a lot of Trek canon. But like the Tholians are, are portrayed as so badass, they not only just immediately clown the NX-01, they immediately clown the Vulcans. Yeah, that's cool. I'm just wondering how the Tholians would hold up to the Borg in 24th. I So there there was a book, of course, that had them confront each other and the Borg clowned them, uh, but couldn't assimilate them. That was the thing. Like hmm. They were technologically superior to them, but he couldn't assimilate. They're not humanoid. They're, we want to assimilate you, but we can't, unlike the Kazon, who we don't want to assimilate. So, so we, we don't. don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> that puts the Tholian and the Kazan lower... in a very exclusive club of uh, non-assimilatable, but for wildly different reasons. Uh, they hit him with the tractor beam. They go, listen, give us this thing. And then Archer goes, well, I'm going to blow it up. Because <laughs> I've, I've, I've unlocked the Janeway maneuver, and now... I've been seduced by the dark side. So my response to any time I don't like something is I'm going to blow it up. And they release a tractor beam and then they fuck off because much like the Romulans, they're bad guys, but they're not that bad of guys. Uh, at this point, Archer's touched base with Forrest, Admiral Forrest, and the plan is going to be to run this thing over to a real starship there's a vulcan uh warship somewhere nearby that can go over you know warp four and this thing is going to take that ship back to earth for some reason instead of just taking it to vulcan to examine it same way you know nobody goes to the proper sick bay everybody just wants to play by earth's rules all of a sudden when that's convenient for the plot but they're gonna have to rendezvous and this is where to starts laying on this guilt trip of 
we shouldn't be fucking with this and we are needlessly putting ourselves in danger. And there's a lot of times that Chakotay used to hit Janeway with this type of talk and where I always backed up Chakotay because I felt it was like the common sense view, uh, television viewer voice. Uh, I don't know. She just seems overly cop cautious and just kind of a wet blanket on this whole thing. She has a conversation with Flox in the mess hall in the kind of interim where Flox is like, Oh, found all kinds of DNA from all kinds of species, Rigelians and Tellarites or whatever. And, you know, they're, they're starting to understand more and more about their present circumstances that once again, emphasizes that time travel is real and that they're interacting with things from the future and they need to start treating it seriously. And Paul still skeptical, still doubting Phlox is able to kind of step into the, to the role of, of audience surrogate of like, really, this hasn't been enough. Let me go through everything we've experienced. Let's uh, let's try and uh, figure out um, what other explanations there could be for all of this at this point. And, you know, the truth is sometimes uh, you don't know what you know about the world until suddenly what you know about the world fundamentally changes on its axis. Like, say, uh, there's other intelligent life in the universe. So maybe it's time to think that you just got it wrong and that time travel can be real. Some of your fundamental rules of how the universe works don't actually apply. So now we enter a phase of the episode where it's a race to get to the Vulcan transport vessel for whatever reason, enterprise isn't already flying there at maximum warp. And as they're moseying to the rendezvous coordinates, uh, they become aware that they have a whole armada of Suluban cell ships and transports hot on their ass. And they want that ship. And, uh, Archer's like, Oh yeah, maybe we should go full speed. I like that the threat from the Suluban is that the Vulcans don't give a shit about you guys. You better just drop out now. Yeah, they're not going to save their their life. They're not going to risk their lives to save you. They don't like you that much. I'm just like, man, I really hope that, I don't know, the Vulcans decide to fly towards them and we're going to get to see this Vulcan cruiser beat some serious ass. Well, When's the le- we there was one time the Vulcans no they didn't shoot and fuck those guys up that's what our complaint was what was that what- was it fallen hero yeah that's right with the space gangsters so uh, so you got two things that are gonna happen one is we're gonna blow the ship up because it's Janeway right so mm-hmm. read the security officer who should be on tactical and the captain who should be on the bridge dealing with a space fight. They go down to the cargo bay. They sure do. And then up on the bridge, uh, it's to Paul and some other people who never read the instruction manuals on the phasers and don't know that <laughs> theoretically phasers don't work in warp, which we were told specifically that was the case before the last time they used phasers in warp. Lots of points off for that one. And oh, we get but bef- before we we launch, we get to this climax point. They did build in the timey wimey thing where the temporal radiation is making people who stand in proximity to the ship to repeat 
conversations and circumstances over and over and over again. And you, you, they do this with a conversation, the trip and, and Reed had where they are talking about what they would do if they could time travel. And then they have the conversation again and then anticipate each other's replies. And then they have the conversation again and realize, Oh no, we've had this conversation two more times. What's going on. And I love that they were smart enough to be just like, let's just leave and tell people about what's happening. Like, uh, yeah, we had a really weird experience. I think maybe uh, the whole the temporal radiation thing those Tholians mentioned might actually be happening. And if you stand too close to this fucking thing, you're just going to keep doing the same shit over and over and over again and not perceive that that had happened. I love temporal loops. I love cause and effect. I love Captain Frazier. I was very happy to see that here in present. Uh, it's interesting that these two guys were able to outsmart the entire crew of the D and quickly realize that they were caught in a temporal loop within the time span of like a minute and a half. Uh, but yeah, everything you just said, like the temporal radiation is real. This thing does pose a threat. It's an issue that, you know, they, they quarantine it and they clear all the decks around it. But now pushes come to shove. Archer doesn't... They, they want to blow it up, right? They want to put a fucking bomb inside the shuttlecraft so they can cough it up to the Tholians and then, you know, detonate it and say, fuck you, right? Like, that's the plan. Here's my favorite part is that they bother with their whack-ass torpedo. Yeah, their little baby explosion torpedo. These things have been effective a whole zero out of zero times. So the idea you're going to take this thing and put the warhead inside the piece of hyper technology. I guess the one uh, piece of evidence that might in any way be effective is that a first generation phaser was able to cut a hole in it. So yeah, had so hand maybe- phaser hand phaser at that. So yeah, bomb clearly will do it. And uh, they are, they do the, the uh, repeat themselves over and over again as they try to disassemble the warhead so they can put it on there. They ultimately beat the clock, but they got a problem. The fucking <laughs> Tholians are too smart for them and figured out their plan. And there's like, yeah, we're just going to disarm that and then take the ship. Peace. No. Uh, what happens is Enterprise gets out of or. Oh, oh no, no. So yeah, they, they, have they a shoot plan, but the whole blow it up thing does not work. They they shoot at the the Suleban and manage to blow up two of the cell ships in yeah. warp, which seems ridiculous. Uh, they drop out of warp. They're like, cool, we got there in time because they were like three minutes away from the Vulcans conveniently. And they drop out of warp and I'm like, cool, let's watch the Vulcans fuck these Suluban up. And you see the Vulcan cruiser with like three flat tires and the hood up and the radiator <laughs> spraying steam out, right? Tires have actually been stolen from <laughs> cinder blocks and the, and the thieves are the Tholians and they're like, yeah, we're I here like- for you too. Because the Vulcans, you know, their ships, it looks like a pencil with a circle around it. And yeah. that circle, I think, is the warp nacelle, basically. Yeah. That thing's, like, cracked and broken. Like, someone took a bite out of the donut, and you're like, oh, shit, they just got fucked. These Tholians are some bad motherfuckers. Uh, and the Tholians are like, cool, dinner's here. And then they start fucking up the Suluban. And it's uh, I think this is the first time we've seen four different factions represented on screen at the same time. And it's pretty cool. Enterprise tries. I do love the Tholians kill all the Suluban. 
all of them. They just kill them. They're just like, they're all, it's like, so how the, how the Sulban doing? Oh, they're fucking dead, Captain. <laughs> like, the Tholians murdered the whole lot of them. Tholians hate Sulban. That's the, they're, they're, they're rangers, and that's their favorite enemy. Uh, interestingly, for whatever reason, the Tholians did not kill the Vulcans. They incapacitate them with, like, ion torpedoes. Uh, Enterprise tries to nope out of there, and the little, Tholian ship come over and hit them with a Care Bear stare and knock all their shit out too. So that leaves Enterprise and the Vulcans both dead in the water. They get hit with the tractor beam again. Hey, give us that thing. You know, everybody's favorite lying Vulcan to Paul gets on there and goes, okay, well, our doors are broken. We're trying to fix it. That buys Archer a little bit of time. They're able to finally get the uh, torpedo warhead extracted. They toss it in there. They let it go. The Tholians grab it. So you're interpreting this that the Tholians disarmed the bomb somehow? Yeah, it's true. I guess the backup plan was activate the black box. Somehow get the temporal beacon we found to to operate. Because if we're right, and this is a time ship, then the future people will realize the time ship is here and they'll come fucking collect it, right? Which is probably the best outcome for all of us at this point. And... They they do successfully start it. And yes, I interpreted the Tholians of having like figured out like to disarm it. In fact, I, I felt like the, the dialogue said that explicitly. No. That the Tholians all, neutralized it. What a big jump to conclusion that that thing was a black box and a time and space transceiver that would call help. Like, I guess if you're looking for a Hail Mary, that's as good as anything else. But uh my interpretation was that the emergency beacon went off that <laughs> the future disabled the bomb because they wanted the, sh- the time ship. And then they started beaming out the time ship, the pilot and all the other traces of, uh, right. Clean up the 30- timeline, you know, prevent anyone from knowing this is happening, you know, minus, uh, Daniel's copy of Encarta in his little, <laughs> Meta-gaming which they clearly which, which they clearly want enterprise to have, right? Like they just wouldn't have it if they didn't want them to have it. You just are they're a millennia ahead. They just walk in and take it if they cared. Yeah. It's like uh, you know, how they're okay with Janeway having all the anti-borg weapons with no temporal contamination concerns there. Yeah, fuck them. You know, <laughs> that's what that was. Like, is it a crime to fuck up the Borg a little earlier? No. It is not. There's this big argument, not big argument, but there's a uh, there's some prickly dialogue between T'Pol and Archer. You know, we shouldn't be involved in this. You're putting the crew at danger. You know, this there's too many. This thing's too hot. You got the Suluban who can outmatch us. Now the fucking Tholians are involved. Like, just get rid of this. And Archer's like, no, I got a hunch. You know, I think I know the right way through this. I'm tired of all these factions interfering. It's time to take a more active role. It's time for us to gather some info. And I wanted to like slap him in the mouth and be like, what, except for the time you completely didn't cooperate with Corporal Grot. And he wanted to fucking like <laughs> be your buddy. Act really, like, like the fact that the, the cabal was a problem. And, you know, you're too busy staging prison breaks like the fuck out of here with that. So yeah, the episode wraps up with the time ship actually being plucked away. It is never clear by who. It's never clear by how. 
but it is clear it has been removed from the possession of the Tholians, and the Tholians just fuck off. They just are like, peace. We leave. Yeah, and they, they're uh, they're not sore losers. They're good sports. They're like, well, we just clearly got robbed. Instead of blowing you motherfuckers up, off and they're we go clearly, back. They're clearly a player somehow in the Temporal Cold War, and while they were not willing to, to harm any of the Enterprise crew or any of the Vulcans, they were happy to kill all the Sulaban. <laughs> so interesting dynamic. There's a dinner scene where, you know, Archer explains using temporal physics, like, well, once they knew their ship was missing, they could return to any point in the timeline it was missing and remove it from the equation. So the fact that it only took a minute for you. And then after you activate it for everything to just disappear, uh, seems correct because they could just, do that that's their time travelers that's literally their power and you know paul admits okay maybe time travel's real and archie's like well how about we bang and to you know flirts with her in that way and paul's like you know i'd rather believe in time travel than leaves <laughs> and that's really the end of the episode like you said not a lot of answers good i like the ambiguity I liked the temporal radiation scenes. I liked the idea of there's this thing from the future. It is so alien as if to be uh, like on a different plane of existence. It doesn't have any kind of visible technology and they've got to piece things together the best they can to figure out what situation they're in. They've got the Suliban who they know. They've got the Tholians who they don't. There's shit going on that they just can't quite perceive. And they have to end the episode like, well, I guess this was the best case scenario for what we wound up in. But we're obviously still party to a conflict we know very little about. And we need to change that to the best of our ability. This could have been such a good uh, Outer Limits Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, could have. Or it's got that, or that feel to it. Yeah. Black Mirror. And if you were willing to like really indulge space madness and space horror once they started going into the super alien ship. Did you watch uh, Cloverfield Paradox? Is that the one with the um, the ship, the alien that invades New York? No, that was uh, oh, no. Cloverfield. Yeah, the Cloverfield Paradox is the one with the uh, space station. Right. And the guy ends up in the wall. Yeah, I never did watch that. It was it was a Super Bowl commercial for it, and I was tempted, but a it's lot good. of people told me, "Is it really good?" I like. I, I would say kind it's of like definitely a passion on like the idea of Cloverfield because it had really nothing to do with like the first movie. Um, it's a it's a tan it's an adjacent storyline, but it works well. I, I would say you know as far as like fringy kind of sci fi horror goes, uh, it, it's definitely worth it, but. I think, yeah, they could have done some really cool stuff if that was a direction that they would have been willing to go. And, you know, there's been a couple times in Enterprise where it's been some horror elements or they've tried to do like scarier things. And I think this would have been a great one for it, especially since by the end, there's no real answers. And you could have just chalked it up and said, hey, space is scary and we're going to come across this stuff and it's not going to be the most fun. Uh, but let's see if the next place we go is going to be more fun. And that's going to be season two, episode 17. Canamar. Archer and Tucker are mistakenly arrested and placed in a prison. Ah! Bound for the infamous penal colony of Calamar. Wow. This is like 
desert crossing shoot. I, I don't know. Is is Archer going to try and bang trip? Are we going to get all of our tropey tropes into this? Listen, I'm down for a good prison break. This was a, a solid Voyager tradition, and I'm happy to pick it back up with our Enterprise friends now that they're actually putting out some things into the universe that are at least B minus or better. <laughs> you know, like we had some solid hits. We had a really good episode. We have, you know, I, I would consider what we just watched to be above average. Good. Yeah. So, but yeah, let's let's do a prison break. Let's see. Let's see what we got here. I don't remember Let's see this what one really evil at all, space so. Texans we're going to be up against. Well, thanks for listening to Vija, please, everybody, and we will see you next week. 